Hi everyone, welcome back to the Throwback Book Stack. I am your host, Kelly. And I'm Emily. Are you? I am. <laughs> okay. Uh, this week we're here to talk to you about yet another book, and this week we are reading Madeline the Ingalls' book, A Wrinkle in Time. We are actually being on our game about sort of being in touch with pop culture because the movie is coming out next month. So this book came out in 1962, and Emily, do you want to summarize it? If you haven't listened to our podcast before, we're about to summarize the whole book. So if you would like to read this book on your own without knowing what happens, put down the podcast, walk away from the podcast, read the book, then definitely come back to the podcast and join us. Yeah, so this book is a little crazy. So it starts out kind of a normal book. You follow this character, Meg Murray, and find out a little about her and her life. She lives in a small town with her family. She is in high school, and she's very awkward and doesn't have any friends, really very aggressive, like, got a chip on her shoulder, and her whole family is kind of weird, and she is definitely kind of an outcast, and so she fights back a lot. She's in high school, she has two younger brothers who are twins, who are kind of, like, perfect, like, good-looking, get good grades, everyone loves them, good at sports. And then she has a very younger brother, the baby of the family, who's like five, mm -hmm. who's like a super genius, basically. Like, they call him precocious, but like, honestly, he talks worse than most adults. Like, no five-year-old talks like that. His name is Charles Wallace. And then her mom, who's a scientist, and then her dad went missing years ago. And that's one of the things, like, the townspeople are always kind of muttering about. And, like, her mom's always saying things like, when your dad gets back, and meanwhile, like, the townspeople are spreading nasty rumors that, like, her dad left for another woman. And because Charles Wallace is, like, a super genius and kind of weird, people are always saying mean things about him. Like, they think that there's something wrong with him and that he's... Rather than thinking he's too smart, most of them think that he's actually, like, a real big moron. And, like, Meg's got a lot of problems, basically. So you meet her on, like, a dark, stormy night when she... Literally. Yeah goes down from her room in the middle of the night, can't sleep because of the storm, and has, like, a hot cocoa with her brother and her mom. And that's when you're introduced to Mrs. What's-It, I believe is first, mm -hmm. who's, like, this strange lady that apparently Charles Wallace has met. And they're all kind of like, maybe you shouldn't be meeting strange ladies. And then she kind of appears, like, they hear someone outside, and they bring her in, and she's, like, uh, kind of, like, weird hobo lady, and just, like, real weird. And she mentioned something to Meg's mom about a tesseract. And that's where you start to go into the real plot of the story. Mrs. What's-It lives with two other women, Mrs. Witch and Mrs. Who, mm -hmm. at this, like, what is basically the town's old haunted house. And Meg and Charles Wallace go there the next afternoon. And so they meet the other two. Mrs. Witch is kind of, like, larger than life talks in like these great booming voices and stuff she's the character i'm assuming oprah is going to play i actually don't know the casting but i was like oh yeah that makes sense when i and it's kind of like the leader and then mrs who is kind of like small and like little weird looking in like kind of a more like a delicate way like they always talk about how tiny she is and she has like very large glasses perched on her face and talks mostly by saying quotes from famous people throughout the ages. So they go to this, like, haunted house, and Meg is kind of like, uh, this place is creepy, and he's like, oh yeah, part of that's just them. They think it's funny to, like, use props and stuff to, like, make it look more haunted and scary than it is. Which is fair. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of awesome. And that's when they run into this guy, Calvin, 
who's like a few grades older than Meg, but she hadn't really known him. And he like plays sports and stuff, but is also kind of like, they learn that he's the outcast of his family. He has 11 brothers and sisters <laughs> and is just like, uh, talks about how he just doesn't fit in with his family either. And so kind of has something in common with Meg. Like she's like, yeah, I know what it's like to not fit in. Um, they invite him back home and he like kind of globs onto her family immediately and is like, I really feel like I fit in with you guys and like gets along. We've adopted this hot boy. He's yeah, ours now. Right? Like Meg helps him with his homework. And that's where you find out that she's very, very like lopsided where she's very good at math and science, but like doesn't know anything about history or English or <laughs> geography. Like, and so Meg and Calvin are outside talking and kind of flirting with each other, and all of a sudden, Charles Wallace comes out and is like, I hate to interrupt, but it's about to start. And, like, literally, that's when it just becomes this huge clusterfuck. Mrs. Who and What's It and Which all show up, and basically are just like, something happens, and suddenly the children are somewhere else, which we learn is they did a tesseract, and now they're on a different planet. But Meg basically, like, almost wakes up and is like, where am I? What's happening? And they kind of explain through, like, showing and that the planets in the universe are being attacked by this thing. The black thing. The yeah. darkness. And they show it happening on this planet they're on. You can see it happening to, like, a planet in the distance. And it's like a shadow that basically is trying to, like, suck it in. And there's different ways of fighting back, and you find out that, like, stars, which are living entities, can kind of, like, give their life and stop being a star to, like, hold it back for a little. So they watch a star do that. They find out that Mrs. What's-It used to be a star, and now she's kind of, like, she transforms into almost, like, a Pegasus thing, which is her form sometimes. Look, a lot of weird things happen. This is basically where it turns into, like, super sci-fi. They go on the planet, they get, like, flowers that help them breathe. So they basically are just explained that, like, there's this darkness and it's overtaking Earth and you have to fight back. And that's the reason there's been so many problems in history and that, like, there are people that are fighting it, even if you don't know it, by just, like, living a good life, basically. There's a lot of weird religious tones in this that you pick up more as an adult than a kid, I think. So after that, they, so they know the black thing is, like, a thing and they're fighting it and somehow their father is wrapped up in all this. So they're on their way to rescue him, and they get sent to this planet that, like, basically Mrs. What's-It and Mrs. Who and Mrs. Witch can't go to, but the kids can. And it's, like, a creepy, like, kind of, like, Soviet Union-type place where, like, they go and they're in the middle of the street and all the houses look exactly the same, and there's all the children, they're all standing the exact same way, and they're dressed alike, and they're all even, like, bouncing a ball at the same time. And then at the same time, like, the moms run out and tell them to come in, and they all, like, march in in time, and it's, like, super creepy. Like, they're all like, we couldn't do that if we tried. But they find, like, one who's out of time, like, out of step, and try to talk to him, and, like, his mom freaks out and is basically like, don't get us killed. <laughs> they find out there's, like, a central intelligence place, so they make their way up to it, and this is where it gets really confusing. And if you thought it was confusing before, <laughs> let me tell you what. They make their way to the Central Intelligence. They basically find their dad, but he's in, like, a locked glass room. They find out that the person in charge of this shadow thing is just called It. And he's, like, a telepathic monster that can, like, get in their heads. 
and he especially can affect Charles Wallace because Charles Wallace is, like, special, and they manage to, like, get the dad out, but it doesn't do anything. Like, they're like, great, well, he's out. I guess let's go try and find it. I don't know. It manages to take over Charles Wallace's mind. The dad tesseracts Meg and Calvin out of there, but can't get Charles Wallace out of there because his mind is being controlled by it. They go to another planet. Um, Meg has been hurt in this Tesseract thing. Did I explain what a Tesseract was? It's basically a way of traveling through time and space. Did the book really explain what a Tesseract is? Tesseract is a way of magically traveling through time and space. There, I explained it. Creating a wrinkle in time. Yeah. To travel basically between two times and places instantaneously. Yeah, like teleporting, but also you can go through time. Yeah. They go to another planet where Meg has been hurt in the Tesseract because her dad's not very good at it. And this alien who is blind that she calls Ant Beast, like, nurses her to health. And that part's super weird because there's not really a point to it, but it goes on forever. Mrs. Who and Mrs. What's-It and Mrs. Witch all come back, and they're basically like, you need to help us. And the Mrs. Who's and stuff are all like, how? Like, we told you we couldn't go to that planet. It's up to you. And so Meg decides to go back by herself and try and save Charles Wallace, and she gets there and realizes that the way she can save him is with love, and then, I shit you not, the book just ends. They're like, and she saved him! We're back! (laughs) It ends so abruptly! So now that you've summarized the book, can you please explain this book to me? (laughs) Well, I think the big thing you have to take away from this book is the Tesseract thing, because that's, like, super important, and it's, like, it's just a crazy sci-fi where, like, I love her books when I was little, and I think she does get better about explaining things. But yeah, this is the kind of sci-fi that is way more magic than science, where it's like, well, if you just say they're scientists, then sure, they can just teleport through space and time. Yeah. Because they're scientists. Science found a way. It's explained in the book in a pretty famous scene with an ant on a string, where she's like, if the ant wanted to get from one hand to the other on this string and he walked across it, that would take forever. But if you just put your hands together so that the string kind of, like, basically wrinkles, the ant can grit from one hand to the other instantly. That's what a tesseract is. If you've seen the trailer for the new Wrinkle in Time movie, you've seen this explanation. (laughs) It's true. And it's weird. And even as a kid, I loved her other books, but this was never my favorite. Because, A, if you don't connect with Meg, you're not going to connect with the book as much. There's not really anyone else to connect to. You don't know much about Calvin other than he's nice and Meg likes him. Even as a kid, Charles Wallace kind of annoyed me. (laughs) So to any Charles Wallace fans out there, I'm sorry, but he's so annoying. He's supposed to, again, be like a super genius, but like he's five. I know when we read the Egypt game, I was kind of like... I was was about to ask, I have... We're going to need to do a Marshall, Charles Wallace, throwdown. But Marshall still felt like a kid. Like, yeah. he was smart, and he didn't talk as much like a kid as an actual kid would. But he also, like, had a stuffed animal and, like, actually showed human emotions. I don't know. Like It was really interesting, because I did not like Charles Wallace. And it was interesting to have, like, go from the Egypt game, where we had a precocious child that speaks way above his age level to A Wrinkle in Time where we have a precocious child that speaks way above his age level and Marshall's amazing and Charles Wallace is terrible. You're right, like, part of that is in that one of them 
is definitely coded as a child and the other is just obnoxious. Yeah, I mean, they even make things where it's like, he never even talked like a baby and like he rarely cried when he was a kid. And it's like, you're allowed to be a baby even if you're a genius. Like, five is so young. Like, So I never read this book as a kid, which is weird because my sister owned a copy. I remember seeing it on my sister's shelf and I spent most of my youth stealing books from my sister's bookshelf. But for some reason, like, I think the title threw me off. I was like, this seems boring. Like, even though I was raised on sci-fi and fantasy, like, our house was packed with old 60s sci-fi and fantasy. So for some reason, though, I saw the title. I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to pass on this one. Uh, I have books about dragons. Bye. So, like, I remember seeing this and just for some reason it never resonated with me. And now I'm like, I don't know what childhood me would have thought of this. Childhood me might have liked it more than adult me. Yeah, I didn't really love it when I was a child, but it did somehow get me to read her other books, and I liked those a lot more. So, I don't know. It's, like I said, this book book, is wild. It is. But it's also very confusing. Like, I felt the whole scene in the bureau place was, like, hard to follow and understand. Yeah, for me, like, it was, like, I really actually liked the beginning. We went, I was like, oh, this is really great. Like, the writing's really good. The char- Like, I love Meg. Meg's aggressiveness is something I really appreciate, and I feel like I didn't really have that model in a lot of books as a kid. So I love Meg. I really enjoyed her. And then, you know, we sort of had her interacting with her family, and it was great, and everything was fine. And normally I get annoyed with the sort of mundane part, and I'm waiting for the weird. In in this book, the second the weird kicked in, I'm like, I don't know what's happening here, I'm out. A lot of the description was really good, and I can imagine a lot of the visualization, especially when you're a kid and you're really, like, imagining it, it's really good, but it felt like it just dragged on the all these parts of, like, and we're in space doing all this whack stuff right now, and it felt like Meg was mostly just sort of along for the ride. Yeah, it also felt like she added all these scenes just to, like, take them to more places in space, but there was never any real reason for it. Yeah. All the planets and stuff they're on, I was just like, none of this is related to the plot. The plot is all squished in in that one confusing scene in the Bureau. All these other planets and stuff feel so, like, arbitrary. The plot didn't go anywhere, and it felt like, so you had Meg, who was just kind of not knowing what's going on, Calvin, who kind of knew what was going on, and Charles Wallace, who knew what was going on, but not telling anyone every, anything. So as a reader, you're kind of trapped with Meg, and you're just kind of annoyed that no one's telling you anything. Yeah. I also, like, when I say it wraps up abruptly, I literally thought my book was missing a page. Like, yeah, the family... Like, I was like, is that the... It literally is, like, one page and it's over. The family reunites and it's done. Like, it literally, on page 188, she figures out to say, I love you. And then on page 189, they suddenly find themselves at home. And then there's half a page on 190. Also... That's it. Can I just say, this book, the problem is solved. With the power of love? Yeah. I hate it so much. I hate it. I hate that. I hate can't. I can't. I think... The book, it didn't, I didn't mean to throw it. It just left my hand. But it wasn't even like, I could see it if it were in a good way. Like somehow her choosing to do something out of love shattered this machine or something. Frozen, good use of the power of love. Literally, all she says is, I love you. And that somehow breaks him out of this weird mind hold. Because it doesn't have love. It, it, capital I, capital T, doesn't have love. Like their emphasis on love is really creepy and part of that is it ties back to the whole christian themes which i definitely that's one thing i wouldn't know if i was a kid because i didn't know who jesus was till i was 10 so that would have gone totally by the point where they ask about like 
who some of the people with fighting this in history were. And the kids are like, Jesus. And I'm, as a kid, I would have been like, I don't know who that is. I had a weird childhood. I mean, I don't, I still don't think I know some of the people that they mentioned. So yeah, they go through like how like Buddha and like a bunch of other different sort of like thinkers and religious figures have been part of this war against the black thing and the darkness that's overtaking all of the universes. I read a lot of C.S. Lewis as a kid. I don't enjoy heavy-handed Christian theology in my YA. I think I hate read a lot of C.S. Lewis. Like, I still have a lot of really angry feelings about The Last Battle, and like... The Last Battle is nuts. If you get me drunk, I will talk about Paralandra for hours and what a trash book that is. I have a lot of feelings. So for me, like, there was a part of my brain that the second the kids were like, Jesus, I was like, this isn't for me. C.S. Lewis did it better. (laughs) At least Aslan was like, you're very good Christ figure. Actually, I think I would have enjoyed this book more if I'd been in school and had to write a paper on it, which is, I know is like the most bonkers statement to ever make. Yes, but... that is how people enjoy books. <laughs> if I had to sit down and write a bunch of paragraphs on the symbolism, because there's so much, it's just shoving it all over you. You're drowning in it. You're trapped in a coffin and they're burying you under symbolism. Like, I think I really would have enjoyed digging deep and pulling all that apart in like a really like structured way because I'm a nerd. I liked writing papers as a kid. So I think I would have enjoyed tearing apart the symbolism and getting into that. But as a human being, reading this book with my human face, I wished the part where they went to space, like I wish there'd been plot there because that would have been cool. I like my space with plot. Meg's just like along for the ride with Charles Wallace leading with no information. And it's deeply upsetting. Yeah, I also, around the same time that I read this, read some other fantasy book that I think is probably not as well-known that also happened to have a face-off with an evil dictator type who could control people telepathically through their minds, and, like, the female heroine has to figure out how to break this guy's hold on someone. But I thought it was done much better, so I would A, confuse the two, and B, I liked the other book better Fair. so partly i wish there had been plot when they been the planets because a it would introduce you and b the planets seemed really cool there seemed like a lot of great concepts and it seems like they just didn't do anything with it like at one point they get trapped in this two-dimensional world where they almost die because they're you can't breathe and your body can't function in two dimensions i thought that was really cool i i loved reading that like one page they gave me of this and, like, the crazy planet with the, the weird Pegasus sparkly creatures. Like, there was Centauri whatever. Like, there was a lot of really vivid concepts that were really great. But then it's like, oh, you're on this planet. Yep, nothing to do here. Bye. It's like, no. Yeah. Yeah, the one with Ant Beast was really weird to me. Because it always just felt like it grinds the story to a halt for no reason. She just is sick and she's there and she meets this alien called that she calls Ant Beast. You're going to learn not to judge people for, like their outer exterior and you're gonna learn that against your will for 20 pages have fun kids just felt like it lasted forever and she doesn't really do anything like it's just the two of them just like talking for so long it's like oh why is this still going on and it's one of those things where i actually do like meandering books without a purpose when there's something in the writing that still still feels like there's momentum or even that like the meditation on the writing gives you something and i just Felt like it was trying to do a lot of things and therefore not achieving any of them well. Yeah, it just doesn't draw you in. Though I think, I mean, there was so much that was visual that I actually, I'm definitely actually going to go see the movie because there was a lot of it that was like, I'm actually really interested to see how they do some of these in CGI. I actually think like the whole creepy conformist planet 
is going to be fantastic on film. I think that's yeah. going to be really dramatic. And also I'm like, I'm excited to see Meg. So I'm actually going to go see the movie because I was like, while I was reading it, I was like, oh, hey, a lot of these scenes will be really cool on film. Although actually I think a lot of the space ones will be difficult because you, your imagination will always do a much better job right. than cinema ever will. I would love to see what the editing of like a screenwriter could do to help put plot in this. Yeah, I'm actually, it made me a little more excited for the film because... I think that this is a book that I'll be more okay with changes that are made. Um, I think they aged down Meg so that she's younger. She's not in high school in the film. I'm not mm. entirely sure. I'm, I saw the trailer like months ago, so I might be wrong on that. But I think they make her a little bit younger. And they age up Charles Wallace a little, so he's not five. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think Charles Wallace is aged up, which makes sense. Yeah, and just like little details like that where it was like, if I loved this book so much, those are the kind of things that I'd get annoyed about. But I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, change those things. I did think it was funny. I was eager to read this because all the, the promotional things for, like, Mrs. Who and Mrs. What's It and stuff, I've all shown them in these, like, elaborate, beautiful costumes. And I was like, what? when does that happen? Because like, <laughs> every time they're in their human form, they basically describe them as looking like tramps and hobos. But I was like, eh, it's okay. Change it. Like, put them in a pretty costume. I don't care. That's fun. <laughs> like... It'll be hard to sort of replace what the power of imagination gave you for some of those early planets, but some of this, I think, could use some cinematic editing, and I think yeah. it does have the concept that'll give you, like, a really dramatic movie, so I'm totally in for the film. And, like, maybe that part in the Bureau will make more sense. It really, like, it kind of reminded me of the Star Wars in The Empire Strikes Back when they're in the Cloud City. Mm -hmm. A part of that movie that, especially as a kid, I was always just kind of like, so they're just walking around this building? <laughs> like, what's <laughs> happening? And that's what it felt like there a little. Like, they literally break his dad out, which you would think would be like, this is it. We did it. And then they're literally like, all right, I guess let's go find the bad guy. Or, I don't know, like, walk over there. Or, like... <laughs> it's a really weird, chill breakout sequence. Like, it's, it's all... It's not action-y. There's no... They're literally just, like, walking around a building. And you're like... But it somehow is also hard to follow. And you're like, I'm having trouble following this. And yet I also feel like nothing is happening in the scene. That was my problem was like so many of the various chapters, they were full of words, but no words that were helpful to ha help you actually visualize what was happening. I can visualize these beautiful worlds. I don't know what any of these characters are doing. Someone send help. Like I... I will tell you that Meg is always yelling. Okay, that's Always. fair. That's fair. I, I just couldn't follow what was going on a lot. And I'm like, I'm an adult with critical reading skills. I know as a kid, you kind of are a lot better, I think, than me as an adult human. Like, it just sort of brushing through the things and being like, don't get it. I'm just going to figure it out. My brain will fill it in. I'm good. Let's go. Oh, man, I was hurting. Yeah. Which I didn't expect because people love this book. Yeah. Again, I didn't read it much when I was a kid. I thought maybe my opinion would change as an adult. <laughs> I was like... I get why this wasn't something I, like, went back to a lot and reread. But this is, like, this has been continuously in print since 1962. Yes, and it's won an award. It's won an award. It's won many awards. It's a very well-regarded book, and people love it. People are enraged over having a movie version because they love it. And I don't get it. <laughs> Speaking of awards, because this is on my cover, yes. we need to talk about the cover. We have different editions. And they're both fantastic. So I know we have different editions. You have the newer edition, which I actually think is a beautiful cover. It's the like kind of black and gold illustrated. 
And there are three sequels to this. And I have the May 2007 edition. So there might even be a newer one than that. I'm oh, sure there they're be. coming up with one for the movie. Um, the book cover. Yeah, the movie cover. But this is nice. I think it's really charming. I like that all four of them go together. That's always nice. Let's get to the real good stuff, though. I have the cover from... This has got to be... Is what? that the 62 edition? I don't know. Let me look. Listen, those pages flip. It's like you're here with us. Yeah, this is the 62 edition. So picture every 1960s sci-fi book <gasps> in your heart. It's so terrible. I love it so much. It's like all like teal and blue with like a weird alien landscape on the bottom and like Pegasus wing horse thing and a blue floating head with red glowing eyes and oh god it's terrible guys it's terrible i love it it's very teal and blue it's yeah there's like this whole planet spacescape it's very picture walking into a bookstore into the old sci-fi section like a used bookstore and it's yeah it's the epitome of that like, sort of era of, of covers it definitely is kind of the nondescript like terrible generic 1960s bad sci-fi cover there's nothing about this that says this is a book for young people. Right. I would assume this is like your standard, which is actually, I think, interesting, is that it's very much sort of the cover's design is sort of your normal sort of adult sci-fi. I don't know how I kids just, got their hands on this. I can't believe that this, someone thought this was a good idea. And I'm so glad that not only did they, but they also kept it. <laughs> like, and my edition from when I was a child still had that. The only updated thing was they put the little gold medallion picture on it to show it won the award. Here's my other problem with the book. They keep talking about the Tesseract. I did not know what a Tesseract was in the context of this book, because my familiar with the Tesseract is from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I spent the whole time wondering what would happen if Loki appeared. Man, I had the opposite thing. When I first saw that in a Marvel movie, I was like, it's not a thing. It's a wrinkle in time that gets you to a different place. They kept talking about it in like a conceptual way and using it as a verb. And I'm like, but no, it's a blue cube. I have a question for you. It's deeply important to me, Emily. Yes. How much better would this book be with Loki? I mean, pretty much better. There's not really a lot for him to steal. But I feel like he could take over one of these planets. No one would be saved with love. Yeah. There'd be that's a cool true. a cool hijinks where they'd team up with Loki temporarily in order to, you know, save Charles Wallace, but really he was trying to get something out of there and it'd be great. Yeah, I could dig it. I feel like what this book is missing is Tom Hiddleston as Loki. So I really hope the movie fixes this problem. I'm not sure how the book would convey specifically that it's Tom Hiddleston, but yeah, no, I could, could dig it. Uh, so the cover is amazing, is all I wanted to say. You guys should really look it up online. It's like, yeah, it's terrible. Like, what about this was like, as a child, I would have never gravitated towards this and been like, Wow, what a cool book. Like, it's a book for you. Um, I'll throw a picture of the cover up on our Twitter account. It was. I did feel pretty okay reading this on public transit because I thought the cover was hilarious. Sometimes I don't like reading children's books on public transit because I feel a little Did weird. you very dramatically put it up in front of your face like you're a spy reading a newspaper so everyone could see the cover on your train? No, I did not. I kind of hunched down in my seat because I was also trying to drink my tea. I feel like you're missing out. I feel like you had a really good chance to sort of introduce this cover to everyone on your train. I guess you're right. I did miss out. So this book, I guess what I want to know at the end of the day is what's the point of this book? Because I didn't really get there. It is well written. Like she has a lovely way of writing. Like you said, she's good with descriptions and like 
some of the imagery stay with me even though I didn't realize it. Like, I never realized how much the description of the stormy night really, like, influenced me, I think, when I was a kid. Like, I loved that scene rereading it. And how when Mrs. What's-It first appears and she says, like, wild nights are my glory and stuff. That is pretty it's good. very, like, it's really well written, especially for a kid where a lot of books are kind of written down at you. It also, if you're anything like me, introduces you to the author, and then you can go read her other better books. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I'm not gonna lie, like, maybe I'm gonna reread all her other books, if anything, are more crazy than this. <laughs> and a lot of the same themes of, like, religion and stuff. But, like I said, as a kid, I didn't really love this book. But I loved her other books. There is the tiny evil part in my heart. You might call it Loki. Uh, that is really hoping I can use this podcast to wreck your love for all of the books in this series. I just don't think it's going to happen, though. I want it to, though. I kind of, like, which I'm now realizing maybe I have more bitterness against this book than I thought in the reading that I'm just like, I really want to break Emily on all of these. No, I just, I feel like my love is very strong there. I'm going to go home and reread them tonight. Fine. Too bad you have other books to read for this podcast. This book also really taught, I think, a lot of kids what love is and how it will <laughs> save you from evil mind controlling. Can you think Soviet Union stand in enemies? Can you think of the number of children that died after reading this book because a train was coming down on the tracks and they're like, it's okay, I'm not going to get out of the way. I love you. See, love will save us. Can you think of the number of kids that just assumed, oh man, I didn't have my homework done. I'm in trouble now. I know what will save me. Love. You know what love saves you from? Nothing. That was beautiful. And just in time for <laughs> Valentine's Day. Oh God, that's true. Isn't it? <laughs> I can't help but wonder if there was a lot of like Cold War references or allusions in here that I went over my head. <laughs> Wait, I just did the math in my head. I think this is being released after Valentine's Day, aka the time of the single people. Love don't save you. I mean, it does in this book. Doesn't pay the bills. But that's what gets me all... She literally, all she says is, I love you, and it's over. It's over. There's no demonstration of it. There's nothing There's nothing about the act. I'm not a fan of Frozen. I will argue it made a much better impact on, like, what love means. There was nothing in the act or the words that showed it what that means. Frozen made some good points. I'm not a big fan either, although my reasons are a little more complicated Mostly that I've seen the first 20 minutes of it like 50 times because my niece loves it but doesn't have more than a 20 minute attention span. That's fair. And also, what's with the trolls? I'm getting off topic, but I feel like you could cut the trolls from Frozen. I didn't like the reindeer. Bite me. I will not. Oh, I hated the snowman. That's why I didn't like Frozen. No, I like the reindeer more than the snowman. I also don't like Elsa's outfit. What? I think it doesn't fit with the like style of everyone else's doesn't fit into the world she runs an ice palace yeah she's gonna have a dope ass dress and how does she even make a dress is that dress made of ice where did her other dress go oh vaginal frostbite is a problem in this society we need to deal with i mean not to her because she's like immune to cold true yeah i would not want to wear a dress made of ice that's not great fine if it is but like how does it, A, move like fabric, and B, where do her other clothes go? <laughs> Much like this book. Anyway. Magic makes no sense. Um, I have to say, in points for its favor, I kind of did love the ending ending. So, like, after the love thing, they're whisked back home where her mom comes out and sees her dad there and is like, holy shit, you're back home. And then um, Mrs. What's-It, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Witch come back to say goodbye. And Meg is like, you know, walking over to give him a hug and stuff. And Mrs. What's-It is literally like, 
I'm so sorry we don't have time to say goodbye properly, but you see we have to, and then they just vanish. That's uh, kind of a badass way to end the book. It is. It's just, that's all. That's all there is to the book. I There's like no... that. I think if the whole love thing and the whole getting rescued didn't happen in such a hurry, then I would love that the ending is so abrupt and kind of interesting and almost like a cliffhanger and like that part, that paragraph is really great. I think it's just the fact that there was no like, oh, she rescued Charles Wallace and then they get to leisurely go home and then that happens. Mm -hmm. It's like five fast things in a row and that's the last one. Like I had so many questions about her father's imprisonment and all of that time and we basically got no information. Like there was and no real reason. does one Tesseract? Because like he appears to be able to do it, I mean badly, but with like no equipment whatsoever. Well, because they kind of emphasize that it seems to be something inherent because when they talk about what makes Charles Wallace special and different and when they talk about Meg being sort of halfway and that it's hard for her because she's half there and half not, seems like they're implying there's some inherent quality, which is bonkers. Kind of like being able to roll your tongue. But with magic. Yeah. You're rolling yourself across time and space and your tongue. That doesn't show up on the podcast. I'm very good at it. <laughs> Emily is rolling her tongue. Also, also, I would like to say everyone they know is terrible outside of their family. Oh, yeah. Like their town is a shithole. It's full of terrible people. Even if he did leave for another woman, why would the postmaster be like rubbing that in a 14 year old's face when she's trying to pick up the mail? Basically, everyone in this town is very judgy about the fact that their father disappeared four years previously. And there's like a whole gossip thing about it. And everyone brings it up to them all the time. And it sounds really horrible. And this everyone makes it their business. Garbage people. It's full of garbage people. Like the mail person keeps the track of principal? and judges how many letters that they receive from their father, a.k.a. none, and how many her mother sends out, a.k.a. constantly. The teachers are making snarky comments about it. And all these adults are making fun of a five-year-old for being dumb. First off, he's five. So even if he was dumb, it's like, they're all dumb. They're all five. Like, it's five-year-old. But second of all, like, who does that? Who's like, well, your husband left you and your kid's stupid. This town is the worst town. Garbage people. Garbage town. Their house sounds lovely, though. Maybe that's why they stay there. And I mean, it does give a big contrast to this sort of quirky family versus this garbage town. Yeah, it's not really explained because it's not like there's a big science community there. I feel like a lot, this has been a theme, a lot of the books we have read have just had garbage towns. Yeah. Like, cool characters in garbage town as a way of emphasizing how cool they are. We need to read a book where, like, everyone in town is super chill. All right, I'll think on that. Okay. The other I thought question... of another book with a garbage town, though. <laughs> The other question that actually came up for me was, again, going back to sort of Charles Wallace versus Marshall from the Egypt game and these precocious children. I feel like I can name a couple books with like precocious pre-seven-year-old boys. Do we know of any books with precocious pre-seven-year-old girls or do we just not? Is that not a trope? Uh, Matilda. Yeah, but that's like the protagonist. I mean, like the sidekick, a weird, you know, the weird, creepy five-year-old sidekick who's overly wordy and like speaks like a 60-year-old person. No, I think those are mostly dudes. I hate that. I want some obnoxious four-year-old girl that speaks like she's a 75-year-old college professor. I hear what you're saying. I think I want less obnoxious, precocious five-year-olds, though. <laughs> I will accept your counteroffer. I will take that under advisement. I'm saying if we are getting stuck with the trope. Yeah, it could be a girl. I feel like the girls are always like the like sidekick kid sister that doesn't know what's going on. And while, you know, the younger brother's always precocious and otherworldly. I also want to mention that I mentioned this to you 
before we started recording earlier, but it seems like a really big waste that she has these twin brothers in the book because they're they kind of... do nothing. Yeah. They're useless. I don't get it. They're mentioned like twice and there's like no reason for them and they never come back and like you could cut them out of the book and it would make literally zero difference on the entire book. They show up and low-key make fun of Meg in the sense they're like, oh, you were trying to defend Charles Wallace? You shouldn't do that because we should do that because you're not good at anything. And at first I was like, oh, are they her older brothers? No, they're her younger brothers. They're just terrible. Yeah, and they're kind of used a little bit half-heartedly to kind of like contrast her and be like, see how well they fit in to like this garbage town, whereas like she doesn't. But I will say that there is a reason they exist and it's because they get their own sequel later and it is nuts it's bonkers it's insane i don't know if i trust you oh no trust me the sequel's insane <laughs> i trust it's insane i don't know if i want that in my eyeballs i'm gonna make you read it i don't know if it'll make you like them honestly but it is crazy and i want you to read it <laughs> so i feel like i was okay with this book when we started recording and the more i try and explain this book or try and summarize this book or try and come up with thematic elements to this book the more annoyed i am with it i am plus their book has them on the cover shirtless and with 90s floppy hairstyles it's pretty funny i don't <laughs> want this it's really funny i'm vetoing this it's like this. a romance novel cover but for kids but why oh there's a reason but i'm talking about this book you have to wait till we get to that one it's called many waters by the way cool we'll be waiting till we've read literally every other book in the year 2227, maybe we will hit this book. Oh, it's so good. I'm going to start reading it and texting you it, like, sentence by sentence. <laughs> It'll be really fun when you're blocked from my phone. It'll make scheduling this podcast real difficult. <laughs> it was a dark and stormy night. Kelly stopped caring. <laughs> what do you think of this book? Want to give it a number? <laughs> oh, God. Can you put a number on these feelings? Is there a number in my heart that's this sort of... It's not hatred, it's just like low-key annoyance with a dash of sadness. A bit of frustration because I felt like there was a better book around every page and I kept waiting for it to show up. It was well written, like the language is good. I like some of the characters. Oh man, plus I'm just a nice person, as you know. I'm such a nice human, I don't <laughs> want to give it a terrible number. And people really love this book and I'm scared of people. Give it a 4.5. All of those are for the words. None of them for what, what are what the words mean. Yeah, I give it a five. I like her work in general. I'm eternally grateful to this book as a kid for introducing me to her because some of her other books really meant a lot to me. I think this book in general wasn't far too heavy on the Charles Wallace. Although I do like Meg. And parts of it, like I said, the whole thing, she has a lovely way of writing. Parts of it, like the world building and stuff, were great. I just felt some of it was just hard to follow and complicated, and other parts of it were weirdly boring. Basically, I feel the exact same about this book as I remember feeling as a kid, where it was like, I liked it, and then I was like, meh, I'm done, I'm never reading that again. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it, so... You, you were reading that again. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You get a five, can't wait to read your other books. <laughs> My feeling is now, well, I'm never reading that again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I would say, I'm not sure if I would recommend giving this to, like, kids. Like, I think there are other books maybe now to get them into, like, sci-fi. Maybe if they saw the movie and if they want to check it out, I wouldn't, like, dissuade them from it. If your um, child thinks a little too much, give them this book because they'll read it and be so confused you won't hear from them for, like, 48 hours. Just trap them in the mind cave of this book. I'd say take your kid to the movie because it must be better than this. 
I'm very interested to see if I like the movie more than this, because as a general note, I tend to like books better than movies. Well, yes, that's correct. Yes. But I might like the movie more than this. We'll see. I mean, yeah, I'm always a big proponent of book over movie, but in this case, I can see a lot of narrative chaff being thrown to the wayside, and I'm a-okay with that. I would take a hacksaw to it myself. It wasn't that bad. But it wasn't mm. that great. I can feel the time leaking out of my body. And there's no Tesseract to bring it back to me, Emily. There's no Tesseract for me. I do really wish a Tesseract was real. I like that it set up that. And that's something that really stuck with me throughout my life. Even though I didn't remember much about this book, I remembered a Tesseract all my life. So I guess there is some imagery that, especially for a child, maybe, is like pretty vivid and gets pretty implanted on your brain. Do you want to do that to your kids? I mean, I don't want to not do that. Also, these kids are very hypothetical. (laughs) I'm just saying, yes, please implant these, like, incorrect feelings about physics into children's brains. Although they might be correct. I don't know. And I liked that even though, as I said, a lot of her science is actually more like magic and fantasy, that, like, her characters are scientists and stuff. And that that's kind of presented as like, this is a cool thing to do. Like, be in science. Your but life will be dope. But they're not very good at science. One of them gets caught in a box for four years. <laughs> yeah, I know. A clear box. Like a mime. It's a clear box full of darkness, though. Well, that's true. He can't see out until he puts on these glasses. Whew. We kind of skipped over that part. It was weird. We skipped over it because otherwise you'd just hear me screaming. You'd have like two minutes on this podcast of just me screaming. I'd be interested to hear from people who have, who really, really love this book and find out if they've reread it recently and still feel the same. Or if it is just that it made such a huge imprint on you as a kid. If it's just that you have fond memories of like this Tesseract and these characters. Yeah, I could definitely, I mean, the more I think about the more I could see myself really liking this much more as a kid when I was really willing to just be excited by the cool worlds and the concept and all of the ideas it had. And not as obsessed with the what the ideas are trying to do. Because I definitely enjoyed some books as a kid that didn't really concern themselves with things like having a plot. Um, and so this definitely seems up that alley. I would also be curious to see people who had read this book, love this book as a kid, and are now go back to it as an adult. Wreck those dreams. Maybe they still love it. Actually, I would love to know that too. If you still love it, please tell me why. Please help me. I would also like to know if you like the sequels better, as I did. Not all the sequels. I did not like the second book. Loved the third. Loved the fourth. So you didn't like the first two, and you somehow ended up at the third book. I don't think I read them in order, if that helps at all. Okay. I think maybe I read the third one first? I don't know. I think that's about it. Thank you all for joining us again today. Um, I hope you somewhat enjoyed this if you want to get in touch with us you can reach out to us at throwbackbookstack at gmail.com we also have a twitter account at throwbackbspod so if you like this book or if you are the person that emily and i need to explain this book and enjoyment of this book please please tweet us and explain please help us we yeah and let us know you know if you like this book what you thought of it if you hate this book please come join me Other than that, our music this week was Heartbreaker by Jazar from betterwithmusic.com. And other than that, um, I hope you all join us again in two weeks where we'll be reading My Side of the Mountain. Bye. I cut a lot of us drinking mimosas. We need to get straws.